Thank you. Have a seat. I'm going to sit. You can sit. Thanks, Ben. That was fantastic. You're all wonderful, and you're beautiful, and you're talented. We get it. <laughs> it's great to be here in Virginia Beach. Um, I love your beach. Virginia is for lovers. What a wonderful place. Pretty, you could have done worse. You could have done worse. I'm from Canada, speaking of which. The, the Queen's Ice Prison. Of course, the Kellys are from the, the other ice prison, the, 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 the beautiful Paradise Penal Colony. If you stole a horse, I think you went to Australia. If you stole bread, I think they, they punished you to Canada. I don't know. I don't know how they sorted them, but we were unlucky. Um, it's just, it's great to be here, and um, I love your church, love your pastors, and it's a real honor. I'm really excited about what, uh, the, the conference. If you're not coming, get your life together, okay? <laughs> just do what's right, okay? <laughs> uh, if you're taking notes uh, this morning, you're like, why would you presume that I'm taking notes, Nathan? I don't even know who you are. Um, if you're taking notes, uh, the title of, of my talk this morning is Get a Better Bike. Get a Better Bike. Or Bicycle, if that's what you prefer. Um, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, thank you that you're here. Jesus, you promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, you'd be in the midst of them. And there's more than three of us. You're definitely here. And we're thankful for that. You're the star of the show, Jesus. And we're here to, to, to meet with you, to glean from you. And so we're going we're gonna to open the scriptures today. Holy Spirit, you wrote the Bible. You are the divine author. And we're believing that as we open the Bible today, you're going to speak uniquely into our lives. So would you just do that and help this poor Canadian? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. Um, so uh, I, uh, I, I grew up in a small town in Canada. My parents still pastor a church in a town of 1,800 people, um, agricultural community. We have one stoplight and a subway. It's pretty awesome. Eat fresh. Um, and um, <laughs> uh, I went to Bible college um, in Portland, Oregon, came back, youth pastor with my dad for, for a, a number of years, and then um, I moved to New York City. I met some friends uh, that were planting a church in New York, and I lived in New York for eight years. And um, four years ago, my wife and I moved to California. That's another hill of beans. Um, but we were in New York for eight years, and New York, from my town of 1,800 people, it, it very different, uh, very different. And... Um, I felt like Will Ferrell in that movie Elf when he goes to New York City, <laughs> you know, and you're just overwhelmed and eating the gum on the subway railing. And, and um, one of the things that I learned about New York uh, was that New York City is really tough on bicycles, very hard on bicycles. Um, now, the, our, our, our operating, before I get into this, our operating text this morning is really from 1 Corinthians 13. I think we have it. We, can we throw it up on the screen? You probably know this if you've been a Christian for longer than five seconds. Um, Paul says this, now faith, hope, and love abide. Um, but these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so for Paul, the basic components of Christianity are faith, hope, and love. 
if you could boil down your spirituality um, or take a, if, if we were going to run a diagnostic on your spiritual vitality, this would be the diagnostic, right? You plug this into your life and go, okay, how's your faith? How's your hope? How's your love? So that's what we're going to do today, individually and corporately. Was that all right? And we're going to look at three churches. So Paul's a pastor of a number of churches all throughout the Mediterranean, and he's going to run a faith, hope, love diagnostic on each one of them. Uh, the Romans are going to need more faith, the Corinthians are going to need more love, and the Thessalonians are going to need more hope. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that. Now, getting back to what, you know, before I was so rudely interrupted by the Bible, <laughs> um, I had a good story here. We're talking about New York, and I learned about New York that New York City is hard on bicycles. My brother had moved to Manhattan some years previously, and I remember being on a phone call with him and he, him you know, uttering some choice Scottish phrase over the phone. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, dude, I just saw this guy on a bike get creamed by a cab. I'm like, ooh. He's like, he went up like 30 feet in the air. I'm like, stop. Um, so I remember just kind of you know, putting that away in my heart, note to self, you know, never ride a bicycle in New York. Um, I moved to New York. The year that uh, I moved there, one of our key volunteers at the church that I was at got hit by a dump truck and died. Um, somebody that, that we, you know, we all knew, it was, it was jarring. I'm like, okay, wow. So definitely never riding a bicycle in New York. Um, and then, you know, there's the whole business of, of bicycles always being stolen. My friend's bikes were always getting stolen in New York. And, um, you know, a bicycle being stolen is sort of like, you know, old news. Every, you know, there's always a bike missing and whatever. And it just is what it is. Even in Canada, yes, we have bike thieves. Um, imagine that. Um, but in New York, it's just like, you know, if you survive the commute to work, okay, then you have to somehow store this machine. Right, um, and um, I used to tell my friends, you know, what does a a Brooklyn dwelling hipster give his girlfriend for Christmas? Your bike. <laughs> Your bike. Um, they get they go missing, and, and dudes make a living of it, you know. Doing and and so um, so you have to store it. And I remember watching this video about a guy who uh, who who was, who was trying to make a point of how nobody cares if your bike's being stolen in New York. And so he, he had his friend uh, film from across the street him stealing his own bike. And so he, he chained his bike up. He's in New York. It's like on 14th Street or something. And, uh, and his tools you know, for stealing his bike became a, more and more large and obnoxious. And so he started with like, you know, pliers, you know, like little Steve McQueen pliers, you know, cutting through the barbed wire. And... Nobody cares, you know. And then he got big, huge bolt cutters, like huge bolt cutters, and he's cutting through his, his nobody cares. Finally, he gets a buzzsaw, and, it's, and there's sparks flying everywhere. And then a New York cop walks by, does not care. Cop didn't even care. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and the point is, is, yeah, like, New York's hard on bikes, and life is hard on your spirituality. And if, you're, if, you're spirit, if faith, hope, love, I, I liken it to a bicycle. Three kind of main parts of a bicycle. I believe that faith is like the framework. It's the basic framework of your, it's the design of your spirituality. 
Uh, and then uh, you have uh, hope, which is it's the, the, the pedal and the chain mechanism. It's the, it's the energy. Hope is the reason why you get out of bed in the morning. It's your energy, right? We do things in hope, right? We work in hope, uh, so anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, right? So it's, you know, anticipating that there's going to be a judgment, anticipating that there's going to be reward, anticipating that we have a master that we have to give an account to. You hearing me, right? Um, great motivations, and, but motivations nonetheless, and then we have love, which is like, it's your steering mechanism. It's, it's the aim of the whole frame. You hearing me, right? Like, love is the point of the thing, kind of, which is kind of what Paul's saying. He's like, now by faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love because love is steering the whole thing towards something. It's the purpose of it, okay? Um, so, so today, let's kick the tires on this thing. And let's take a, a deeper look. Are you ready? Okay. So the Romans. Uh, the church in Rome is most likely founded uh, by Romans that were in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover and the Pentecost. Uh, the city of Jerusalem would, would double in size during the Passover because Jewish people that, that did not live in Israel, they were called the Diaspora, they lived all throughout the Mediterranean. Um, it was required for a pious Jewish male to pilgrimage once in his life to Jerusalem for the Passover, which is the highest Jewish feast. And so at this time, there'd be all these Jewish men, you know, from all over the world. They speak other languages, and they'd come, and they'd stay for, for a couple months. So they'd be there for Passover and Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. They'd still be around, okay, visiting family, visiting friends, doing Jewish things, you know, singing Havana Gila, I don't know. Now, do you remember what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the 120 in the upper room? Remember what happens? They, they, they're, they're, they, they're seemingly drunk to people. They start speaking in gibberish, or what seems like gibberish, but they're actually speaking the gospel in other people's languages. Now, who are these other people in Jerusalem? It's the diaspora. It's these men that live all over the Mediterranean. They speak other languages, and they're hearing the gospel, and 3,000 are added to that church. Well, presumably, this is what most scholars believe, this church in Rome that exists before Paul even got there, because in Romans chapter 1, Paul's introducing himself. He's saying, hi, I'm your boss. We haven't met. I'm coming to inspect, right? So, and then he has to address some issues. Um, which we're going to get to in a second. So this is how that church came to be. Okay? It came to be that these Jewish men hear the gospel, they believe, and then they go back to Rome and they start a church. Pretty cool stuff. Now, the plot thickens. In AD 19, the emperor Tiberius expelled all of the Jews from Rome. Tiberius dies, and then a more favorable Caesar comes in, and the Jews come back. Some decades later, in AD 46... Claudius, the emperor, doesn't like the Jews and kicks them out again. They're evicted from Rome. Claudius dies in AD 56, and then the Jews come back. This is around the time of the ministry of Paul. And we read about the eviction of the Jews uh, by Claudius in the book of Acts. And this is the occasion for Priscilla and Aquila to come down to Corinth, and they meet Paul the apostle there. And, hey, what are you guys doing? Well, we're kicked out of Rome. The, you know, the, the Romans don't like the Jews. 
Romans didn't like the Jews because the Jews were monotheistic. Um, they basically didn't play nice with others. And the Romans were like, you, can't, you can be Jewish, but you need, to be, you need to be Roman. And the Jews were just like, yeah, that's never going to happen. So then, okay, out. Am's gray. Now, why is this important? Because the church in Rome would have had a very Jewish feel to it, like Christianity in the 80s, if you're around for that. All the songs were very Jewish sounding. And um, <laughs> I, grew, I was born in 1982, so I was around for all that. It was fantastic. All that integrity music was wonderful. <laughs> Great songs. And um, so the Jews start the church. There's Gentiles that begin to come to the church. And it's very Jewish, doing a lot of Jewish things. Sounds Jewish. The Jews get kicked out, they come back, and the Gentiles are swinging from the chandeliers. <laughs> and the Jews are like, what have you done to our church? It doesn't sound like Hava Nagila anymore. It sounds like Coldplay and you too. <laughs> right? We don't recognize the music. And then on top of all that, you, there's a bunch of Gentiles in here, and they have not been circumcised. Now, I'm not sure if you know what circumcision is. I'm, I have a diagram here. <laughs> Yo, you laugh, but this actually happened. Can you imagine if we had people in the front foyer, hey, welcome to church, and have you been circumcised? <laughs> have I been what now? Have you been circumcised? Uh, how is that any business of yours? Well, it's kind of how we do things. We're sort of like a Jewish Christian church. We have a little side room here. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, if you wouldn't mind. There's like a little mini guillotine in there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Canadian. It's stupid. This is, this really happened. You couldn't come to church if you weren't circumcised. So obviously this church is divided. Paul's writing to this church because it's an ethnically divided church. They're divided over circumcision, which is like, the, that's, a, that's a deal breaker for some of the Greek men, the Roman men, understandably. So Paul has to explain to them how faith works. And so he's going to write for eight chapters maybe some of the best theology on justification. Because, because this church needs to be united around faith. And this church doesn't understand faith. And it's like, it's the framework. We can't have a church if we don't understand like the, the most basic operating principle, which is faith in God. And so the question is going to be asked, I think we have the verse here in, in Romans chapter 1, you know, like, what's the gospel? You know, what is the gospel? And if you remember in Romans uh, 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, because it's the power of God unto salvation for everybody who believes, to Jews and Gentiles. And out of that, he says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How do we, 
So the question in, 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 the, in the book of Romans that Paul's going to answer is, how do I become righteous? How do I become clean enough to be in relationship with God who is holy? In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, or from faith to faith. Because it's, a, it's just a, a faith journey. It's a continual journey of just being in relationship with God. And if you're in relationship with God and you just believe him, God cleans you. He makes you righteous. It's incredible. As it is written. And so then Paul, because really he's writing to the Jews. Romans chapter 1 to 8 is written to the Jews with the Gentiles looking over their shoulder. And then Romans 9, 10, and 11 is the first diversity training in the Bible, and that's the Gentiles reading it with the Jews looking over their shoulders like, see, we don't suck. <laughs> and then both of them are reading it together from, verse, from chapters 12 to 16. But Paul's knowing that he needs to, to, to get the, the Jews on his side and get them to understand, look, it's not works that make you clean. It's faith that cleanses you, that makes you righteous. So he's going to quote, he's going to create an Old Testament precedent. And he's going to quote here, he's going to say, the righteous shall live by faith from the Old Testament. Okay, interesting. So Romans chapter 1, Paul, then he's going to begin to talk about the gospel, and he begins to just lambaste the, um, the Gentiles. And he's just saying, guys, you're in trouble. You got problems. And then Romans chapter 2, he, start, he starts to go in on the Jews, and he says, y'all have problems. And then Romans chapter three, he says, we all have problems. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans chapter four, he's gonna begin to talk about this guy named Abraham, who, you know, as soon as he says Abraham, the Jews' ears perk up. And they're like, well, he's our father. And, and so then Paul's gonna go, cool, Abraham's your dad? Yeah, yeah, he's our, yeah, we're, we're Abrahamic people, man. He's the guy. Cool, he's the guy? Okay, so when was Abraham made righteous? Was he made righteous before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? Because in the book of Genesis, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Paul will quote that in Romans chapter four. And, and so the Jews are gonna be like, whoa, they're playing the trombone here, like, whoa. Yes, whoa. He, was, this, he wasn't even circumcised yet. And he was made righteous. So why would you? And they're starting to get it. Wow. Faith in God makes me righteous. Now, circumcision wasn't the only deal. Problematically. They're also divided over food and kosher law. Right? Because there's all these, these, all these other peripheral things that, well, you have to do this. Okay, you're not circumcised? Great. But you, you can't eat meat. You can't, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run with girls who do. You know, they're watching Yellowstone. I heard they're, I'm concerned. They're watching Yellowstone. There is violence in it. Are they allowed in our church? I saw their child reading Harry Potter the other day. I am personally disgusted. They took their family to Disney. Are they allowed in our small group? Romans 14, if you've read it, it's about... Uh, the church is divided over food and wine. The Jews can't drink Roman wine because it's not kosher. 
the Romans invented the, the process of wine fining. And until 1993, dried ox blood was used in all European wines. So if you know anything about Jewish law, you, that's like a big no-no. You can't drink wine with blood in it. Okay? So, and, and, and if, if, if you know anything about wine, some of you are like, no, I know nothing about wine. I'm a Christian, Nathan. <laughs> you, can, you can buy kosher wines. You can buy vegan wines because most wines are still made with animal products. Okay, so the Jews, so, so Paul's, the, you know, wine is, is making them stumble. Why is it making them stumble? Because it's violating their conscience of kosher law. They can't eat meat. The Jews can't eat meat. Well, church was a potluck back then. How can you celebrate the table of the Lord without wine? The church is divided. They, they can't even eat food together. They, they, won't, they won't meet together. And, and, you know, is Christ's body, is Christ divided? No. So they need to figure out some, some of these, these, not only are you saved by faith, but the journey continues in faith. And we, we have, sometimes we have these churches that are divided, maybe not over these major issues of faith, like what saves you, but like what sanctifies you. You know, and, and we're divided. You know, they got the vaccine. It's, it's, it's the mark of the beast. Probably not the mark of the beast. <laughs> I don't think John was sitting on the Isle of Patmos. He's like, in 2,000 years, there's going to be a vaccine that doesn't work. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. That's, that was wrong. I'm sorry. These things, they just, they just come out. My, my, wife and, my, my wife is Australian, and of course I'm Canadian, and my parents are like locked up in, in Canada right now. Um, so the only way for me to go see them was to get the vaccine, and same with my, my wife, and, because my parents aren't vaccinated and her parents aren't vaccinated. And, so we're the guinea pigs in the family. We went home for, for, uh, for Christmas uh, to Australia. And of course, on Christmas Day, my father-in-law gave me COVID. <laughs> yeah. On the 12th day of Christmas, my father gave to me <laughs> nausea and fever. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, okay, I digress. I, this is horrible. You hearing me though? People have been divided over the dumbest stuff. This doesn't, this doesn't save you. And faith unites us. You don't give a report to me, you report to God. <laughs> You're another man's servant. You're not my servant. This is what Paul's writing. This is verbatim in Romans 14. Why would, then would I judge another man's servant? No, he will stand. You will stand. God, God's going to help you stand. So maybe, you know, oh, I, don't, I think they're going to fall away. They're going to leave the church. They're watching Yellowstone. They're going to hell, man. No, God, God, they're going to be okay. You hearing me? And 
if you have liberty and you have freedom and you, you know, you're like, you know, this doesn't offend me and drinking wine doesn't offend me and Yellowstone doesn't offend me, whatever it is, I'm picking on Yellowstone today because I just finished it last night. What? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Nathan, no. If you have liberty, you don't, run, you don't rub it in people's face. You don't make it a matter of unity, right? You know, so, so, so if, if, the, you know, if, if the Smiths are coming over and they don't like Yellowstone and they don't like alcohol, then we hide the booze, <laughs> right? And we, you get the Yellowstone DVDs, you put them under the couch. You hearing me? You don't, you don't rub that stuff in people's face because you don't want to be a stumbling block to them. No, we're going to, because you understand faith. And if something bothers you, don't do it. If, if something, listen to me, if something, because whatever's not of faith is sin. Sometimes we need larger definitions of sin. Maybe God's saying no to you, but yes to somebody else. Maybe there's something on your life that just, others may, but you may not. That's okay. Not everybody has to have your conscience or your convictions. We gotta be united on the essentials and there needs to be charity and love on the non-essentials, right? But this is a faith issue. Okay, let's keep going. The Corinthians, worst church in the Bible. Worst church in the Bible. This is a, another divided church. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, do we have it? In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. That's an amazing Bible verse. When you come together for church, it's worse. <laughs> Can you imagine going to a church and you're just like, I just need to go home and take a shower. I just feel icky. That's how bad their church was. Two of the sternest warnings in the Bible are to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 11. God's just like, if you keep dividing the church, I'm gonna mess, with, I'm gonna mess you up. And in, we find out in 1 Corinthians 11, God is messing some people up because they just keep, they're making church all about themselves and they just, they, they're hostile to one another. There's no love. Now, this is the most gifted church in the New Testament. Paul says they fall short in no gift. And some of the clearest teaching on spiritual gifts are in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But do you remember what's in between 12 and 14? 13, right? That's the meat. The meat of that, of, of that teaching on spiritual gifts is love. 1 Corinthians 13. If you have, you know, if I have... I speak the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love. I'm a gong show. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I have all these prophetic powers, but I don't love people? I'm nothing. The whole motivation, the, whole, the purpose of the gift is love. Because the Holy Spirit is the love of God. That's what Thomas Aquinas said. Jesus is the wisdom of God, Proverbs chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is the love of God because the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It's very intimate language. 
He's the one who's, who's, he's with you at all times and he won't quit you even though we're all idiots. You know when you do something really stupid and you're like, I shouldn't be doing this. And the Holy Spirit's going, you're an idiot and I'm not leaving. <laughs> How cool is that? He's, he's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. So good. So thankful for the Holy Spirit. Now, love is how the Holy Spirit builds the church. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 14. Paul's going, you know, Romans, you need faith to unite your church. Corinthians, you need love to unite your church. So coming out of, of, of chapter 13 into 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love. Okay, guys, keep that in mind. And earnestly desire, and watch how Paul is going to marry the gift of prophecy to the pursuit of love for the Corinthian church. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. What, my challenge to you today is this, and we're going to see this in the, in the next five verses. We're kicking the tires on love now. Okay, do you love people? Yeah, yeah, I love, I'm totally, man, I'm into love. I'm, peace, love, dove, dude. Cool. Do you, if you love people, do you prophesy? As in, is your love audible? Is it patient? Is it kind? Is it, is it, does it rejoice with the truth? That's, a, that's an important factor when understanding what love is. It's, it, rejoices, it rejoices with what is true doesn't empower people's fantasies either. Okay, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's keep going. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. I mean, amen. Right, when you're shabba doing, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> right? No one understands you because you're uttering mysteries in the spirit. You're praying, you don't, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And so we, we, we pray in, in, in the Spirit, and the Spirit's making intercession for us, right? Let's keep going. Uh, verse three, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. When you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God. When you're speaking, you're, when you're prophesying, you're speaking to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Let's just leave that verse up there. Let's leave that verse up there. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. My dad says this, build up, stir up, Cheer up, build up, stir up, cheer up. That's prophecy. Now, there are obviously people who have prophetic gifts, capital P, prophets, and, you know, they're like, when I imagine, they're like Gandalf, you know, the wizard, you know, with their hand over the palantir, you know, they're like, and I see in your future a beautiful wife. Tell me more, you know, like, <laughs> It's a bit spooky sometimes, the way that we think of prophecy, you know? But I think that what Paul's trying to say here, local church prophecy, and the, the spirit of prophecy in the church, and what the Holy Spirit's trying to do is just, is love people audibly. Build up, stir up, cheer up. Say that with me, build up, stir up, cheer up. You can do that with your eyes open. This is for dad who works construction on, on Monday tomorrow morning. You can build up, stir up, 
cheer up. You build them up in their faith, stir them up in their calling, and when they leave you, they have a smile on their face. That's, that's prophecy. Have you ever, have you ever, you're talking to somebody maybe, and you just, you just love, you just like them. You just love them. Have you ever felt that, that way before? I just, I like this person. That's the Holy Spirit saying, say something, dummy. Say something, prophesy, build them up, stir them up, cheer them up. This is how our church is going to be glued together by the love of the Holy Spirit. This is how we build the church. Look, assimilation programs are fantastic, but you are the assimilation. Your mouth is the assimilation program. The Holy Spirit, we know this, but our world is so, our world is so, um, Negative. We're so encouragement deficit. Cynicism everywhere. The church should be a place where people just, they come and they just get built up, stirred up. Not just from the preaching, not from, just from the songs, but from you. Prophecy doesn't belong to, you know, to the, 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 the parking lot prophetic assassin. You know what I mean? Like, I got a word from you. No, you don't. I'm running away from you. <laughs> this, is, this should be so normative. I think that a lot of y'all have been prophesying. You didn't even know it. You just been, you build people up. You stir them up and you cheer them up. Continue to do that. Prophesy in the name of Jesus and continue to build your church. Okay. Next verse. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. And this is sort of, <laughs> in some ways, been the problem with Corinth, is that everybody's after their own thing. I'm not saying that tongues is, is a pejorative. I speak in tongues. I think that, that tongues are for everybody. I believe that, okay? Everybody in the upper room got filled and they speak in tongues. But uh, the one who prophesies builds up the church, Right? Next verse. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And then Paul creates this hierarchy. The one who prophesies is greater. Now, he's, it's a competition now. They're like, ooh, ooh, you're more important. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to appeal maybe to their, their self-centeredness. I don't know. Are you hearing this? Love is audible. If you, if you love Jesus you will build the church. Read John 21. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Cool. Feed my sheep. I'm super into love. Are you? Are you the loudest builder? Last church, Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are the anxious church. Anxiety is fear of future pain. The Thessalonians are the persecuted church, maybe the most persecuted church in the New Testament. They're afraid of future pain. It consumes them. Their world is falling apart. They have a lot of questions about the return of Christ, obviously, because they're like, get me out of here, Jesus. You ever felt like that recently? Like, what is going on in the world right now? Jesus, could you please come back? 
I don't know if I could handle another election year. Right, because Jesus is kind of, he's going to be the president one day. It's going to be fantastic. You know, and everybody said amen, you know. It's like, and we got COVID going on, and people lost houses and the incomes and everything. And, and then the stock market is just like, and oil, and, you know, it's, it's insane. Inflation, and, and then we got war, uh, you know, Putin, and, and, <laughs> and then I got a text last night or not an alert on my phone, you know, something about, you know, Taiwan and China. And I'm like, oh, great, new fear unlocked, you know. Uh, <laughs> gee, willikers. The world is just, have you felt that the last two years? It's just been crazy, the civil unrest in America the last two years. It's been, Jesus, can you please come back? And of course, you know, with all that, I think that there's some people that have gotten a little bit weird too. You know, just go on Facebook for about five seconds. You know, it's like, dude, I like a good conspiracy theory. I love conspiracy theories. Love them. But you've posted 98 of them today. <laughs> you haven't showered for three weeks. You're eating Pringles, Coca-Cola, and a steady diet of government cheese. That's not helping anybody. Now, our, our hope is, you know, it's ultimately in Jesus. But the anxious church needs a hope that is, that is a bit more practical. Okay, because absolutely, you know, hope has to do with our eschatological anticipatory living is the theological term. You know, like you're living in hope of the eschaton that Jesus is going to come back. Absolutely, he's going to come back. But like sometimes people who, the Thessalonians, they have all these questions about the return of Christ. Right? They're asking Paul all the time, when's he going to come back? When's he going to come back? Is he coming like this? 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 Right? That's where we get weird. That's, you know, I don't know if you've seen, you know, on Facebook, people be, being weird like that. Jesus is coming back next Friday, man. He's, it's, he's coming back on the California coast. My whole family's going there. I'll see you in three weeks. <laughs> you know, Russia is the bear. It's the bear in Revelation. Yeah, I don't think it's good to use the newspapers to interpret the book of Revelation. You know, Bill Gates is the Antichrist. That would be disappointing. Really? That was the worst? It was, it was that guy? The guy that you bullied in high school? Turned out to be the Antichrist? That's... People are going, going crazy. And same thing, it's, just, it's creating fear, it's creating more anxiety. I feel like that baby sometimes. <laughs> I, I hear you, dude. It's been wild. It's been wild. The Thessalonians are dealing with deep anxiety. What, what am I going to do with my money? What am I going to do with my life? Should I get married? Should I have kids? Should I? They have like the, the analysis paralysis. They're absolutely paralyzed. 
Paul's going to write a really strange verse to a church that needs hope, a hope that will get them out of their rut and, and get their feet back on the ground. Look at this verse. This is incredible. Aspire to live quietly. This is really good. Mind your own beeswax. <laughs> Mind your own. It's the Bible. Mind your own beeswax. It gets better. You know those things you've been sitting on for months? Yeah, your hands. Get a job. <laughs> it gets even better. As we told you before. You know how I told you to get a job last time I came and preached? Yeah, so get a job. Somebody asked Martin Luther, if you knew that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, what would you do today? He said, I'd plant a tree. Christians should be, in turbulent times, the people that are planting trees. We continue to sow in turbulent times. We continue to build in turbulent times. We're... we're we're not, we're not, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of it, but we're in it. it you know that phrase, that he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good? Well, really, if you're heavenly minded, you should be earthly good. Christians should be the most earthly good people. Earthy people, grounded people. You got a job. You work with your hands, <laughs> just spelling it out. When I went to, um, I'm going I'm to close with this. Is, is the band going to come back? The, the keyboard player, hello. <laughs> when I moved to New York, um, I was just, you know, as I said, I was really overwhelmed and about there for eight years, and about year five, I had like a, a, a panic attack, massive panic attack. And um, anyways, it just messed with me. I woke up the next day after this panic attack, and I had like knots in my stomach, and they kept on getting worse, and, and I was uh, catastrophizing uh, because of this panic attack, and you know, all these things are going to happen, and oh, I'm losing my mind, and I'm not going to be able to take care of my wife, and da 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 So um, I went to a a psychologist in our church and um, I was living in the West Village at the time and I, her offices were on 31st and, and 5th Avenue right across from the Empire State Building I walked all the way I just I loved to walk and so I walk up there and um, I remember getting into her office and, and so she she told me Nate you know like you're, you have you've been you've developed what's called panic disorder and and it's you're on this you're stuck in this feedback loop where you're catastrophizing 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 anybody with me on this you know it's like you know when like you can just you're just upset you know you're imagining all these worst circumstances you know and um and it, i was just it was out of control and i had knots in my stomach when i'd wake up in the morning just knots in my stomach it's horrible and um so she said you know god gave you a body uh for a reason and and you know right now you're like you're like a head with like a teleportation device. 
you know, and you need to get into your body. Um, and you don't fight anxiety necessarily with your head, you know, like with the right theology, you know, like, oh, Jesus is my king, he's coming back and everything's gonna be okay. You, you fight anxiety, you know, these fears of future pain with, with your body, you know, with getting busy doing things. Paul, which Paul was telling the Thessalonians, it's literally cognitive behavioral therapy. Get a job is, this is gonna help your hope. It's grounding. So, so I sit down and, and she said, okay, you know, so, so she talked to me for a bit and then she's like, okay, your homework this week is I want you to, um, when you sit down, I want you to feel your, your bum against the chair. I'm like, expensive advice. <laughs> but, um, hey, I'm desperate, you know, so every time I sit down, I'm gonna feel that connection you know, just basically, she's just to get in your body and, and feel things, you know? The next week, I walk into her office and, and you know, we talk again and how's your week and da 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 da. This is your homework this week. When you walk home, I want you to feel your toes and your feet. Expensive advice. Just feel, feel your toes. Get out of your head, into your body. Feel your toes. As I, as I walked home to the, the West Village, you know, feeling, feeling my feet, feeling my toes. As I began to just be in my body, it began to interrupt and interrupt and interrupt and interrupt that feedback loop that I was stuck in. And in a matter of months, I was totally free. Isn't that cool? Praise God. Yeah. Some of us are so worried about the future, wrapped up in it. What am I gonna, what should I invest in? What should I, should I open up a bit? Is now a good time to do this? Is now a good time? Because the thing with anxiety is it'll begin to tell you your, your life plans. It, right, fear begins to dictate to you what you will do and what you won't do. And some of that is healthy, but sometimes it can become really unhealthy and we become useless. I think that what God is saying to the church in this season is continue to sow, continue to build. If I saw Warren Buffett and Elon Musk, you know, begin to invest in one singular thing, I'd probably begin to invest in that thing. You hearing me? Jesus is investing in the church. Jesus is building one thing, the church. If you're wondering, you know, what should I invest in? Here's a really safe bet. Invest in the church. Continue to build this thing. Build what Jesus is building. Build it with your hands. Build it with your finances. It's a safe investment. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. It's not gonna take a dip. It's not gonna dive, it's only gonna go up. Thieves don't break in and steal. Aren't you stand with me?
let me just pray for you. I'm going to turn the service over to Josh, but just let me just pray for you. Father, thank you for a church that is united in faith, a church that loves one another and prophesies over one another. Father, open up our mouths to prophesy over one another. Make us prophetic people that we build up, we stir up, we cheer up. Father, make us people of faith that we see beyond ridiculousness. <laughs> we stop judging one another for peripheral things. Father, make us people of hope that are so grounded, united in hope, united that Jesus is coming back, but just practical people, people that work diligently. Father, I pray for jobs. If people are looking for jobs right now, Lord, I thank you that you provide. You're the provider. I thank you for work in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for, for God ideas in, this, in these uncertain times. Father, I, I pray for strategy from heaven over every entrepreneur and business owner here in Jesus' name. If, you're, if you own a business, just lift your hands to the Lord. I want to pray for you. Father, I, I pray that these businesses would grow. Father, I pray that they'd be able to hire people in tough times. God, I pray that you'd give them wisdom. I pray that you'd make them fearless and bold. Lord, that they would know that you are their source. You are their provision. Bless them in Jesus' name. If you're looking for a job, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. Father, I thank you for these hands lifted. I pray for the best job ever. That's my prayer today. Best job ever, something that fits them. Father, we thank you for that. If you've been dealing with anxiety about the future, I mean, it's keeping you up at night. You're having trouble sleeping and you're beginning to catastrophize about things. I don't wanna embarrass you, but I believe that Jesus is here to minister to you today. Would you just lift your hand in faith and just say, Jesus, I've been dealing with anxiety. I need the peace of God that passes understanding to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And I need some hope. Father, I thank you right now for my brothers and sisters who've been dealing with, I'm praying for the peace of God. I thank you for sweet sleep in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for practical things that are gonna come into their life. Lord, that you would lead them into practicality and purpose in Jesus' name. I bless this church, this amazing people. Father, thank you that you are building Wave Church. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House or what's happening in the world, you're gonna to continue to build this church, this community. And Father, I thank you that they will be blessed and they're going out and they're coming in. In Jesus' name, amen.